0: Do you ever wish that communicating with your dog was as easy as the touch of a button? That was easy. Well, now it is. Hello, I'm James Jacobson. Welcome to The Long Leash. We went back to our archives to bring you an interview with a cognitive scientist who is using technology to help us better communicate with our dogs. Most people are able to understand our dog's basic needs and wants, things like, I need to go to the bathroom, or I'm hungry. But what if there was a tool for your dog to relay complex thoughts and emotions to you in, in English, or in whatever language you speak? Well, Leo Trottier, today's guest, has developed something that allows you to do that. He is the CEO of a company called Clever Pet, And he is on a mission to discover just how much our dogs are capable of understanding and communicating with us using these buttons. The results are, well, I think nothing less than remarkable. In this conversation, Leo shares the science behind these talking buttons and the psychology behind communication in general. He also tells you what he hopes will come next in his research. With new technology on the horizon, getting a text message from your dog while at work, well, it may be not so far-fetched. Stay tuned after our conversation for an update on what Leo is doing today. Leo Trottier, thank you so much for being with us today.
1: Thanks, James, it's great to be here.
0: So when you started your company, you weren't exactly focused on these language buttons, were you?
1: Yeah, so uh, the current brand that most people probably know us as is is Fluent Pet, which makes these sound buttons. And mm-hmm. we started as the company Clever Pet, which makes a computer game console for dogs, which provides food when they solve little puzzles. The idea is it's for all day play; it's for providing entertainment and interaction and engagement for dogs when they're not around. Now, fortunately, we've sold out of all of them. They're not currently we're not currently in production with Clever Pet Hub. We love it. We might bring it back at some point. Right now, we've been focused on figuring out how to teach dogs to talk with buttons. Okay,
0: so that is really where your focus is. It's not on on. I think I had the names messed up, but it's and not. I get on the names those, messed up half the time. Those toys that are basically are food rewarded toys to to see how clever your pet is, and in fact, you're determining how fluent your pets are. Yes, exactly. Okay, so you're living in fluency, and you come to it very honestly from your academic background.
1: Yeah, so I my background's in cognitive science. I did an undergrad degree in cognitive science and AI way before people were doing any of that d- deep learning stuff, and then went into a grad program in cognitive science at UC San Diego. And I was always interested in learning. When I was there, I studied, I studied learning as part of my PhD, and um, it was while I was there that the kind of big idea came that, look, we've got dogs and cats alone at home all day. They are really smart and sophisticated. And we also have all this software and these like great connected homes. Like there's got to be a way to put these two things together.
0: Was that the focus of your PhD dissertation? It
1: was not. It was not. No, I was looking at like spatial and environmental learning.
0: So what was the genesis of your interest in dogs and cats?
1: So, I mean, I've always loved animals and I mean, we really do think of ourselves almost as like a cognitive science company, if that makes sense. We, mm-hmm. uh, we love dogs and cats, obviously, but we also love all the other animals that might decide to use a, <laughs> fluent pet and clever pet devices. We really see ourselves as like, like a company that appreciates the value of minds and brains and, and all of that. And it's just, you know, we don't, we don't privilege humans as maybe as much as some other companies do. It's kind of the way we think. Okay, well it.
0: that that's fair enough. But of course, this is Dog Podcast Network, so <laughs> yeah. I want to confirm that <laughs> the main animals that are using this are dogs. I
1: think we are eighty-five percent dog. Okay.
0: Okay. <laughs> Roughly. So that's fair. I mean, we 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 know. I know you have some cats. I've seen them in some videos. Yeah. Very clever cats. But most of your customer base
1: are dogs. Correct. Correct. And the and the real idea for all of this came from noticing this would have been actually about 10 years ago, maybe a bit more noticing that there was these like depth cameras that people were putting out Microsoft connect. If that rings a bell, it's ancient. Mm -hmm. I don't think, I don't know if they're selling them anymore. Anyway, the idea there was that it was the first animal friendly computer interface. I mean, we've got keyboards and mice and joysticks and, you know, dance, dance revolution pads. All of those things are not very dog friendly, but you can make any depth camera dog friendly by just giving it different software to like recognize what the dog is doing, where they're looking and 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 these devices were in millions of homes and they were connected to these large displays and fast internet connections and fast computers and they were pointed out at the part of the home where the dog is resting half the day, which is like in the living room on the couch. All you need to add to that is a food reward device and you've got you've opened up a whole amazing potential for automated training and interaction.
0: And so Microsoft's vision was not any of this. It was, this is all tied in with the video games.
1: Correct. Yeah. So Microsoft had nothing, had no, I think we actually tried, I tried to talk to some of the people at Microsoft a few times. They weren't that interested in the whole let's teach dogs automatically. (laughs) So we ended up coming up with the clever pet hub because, you know, there were already three big problems that we were trying to tackle. There was the, um, How do you make a curriculum, a software based curriculum for training dogs? No one had done that before. Mm -hmm. How how do you make software that can use computer vision to recognize position and posture in dogs? That had never been done before. Mm -hmm. And then uh, there was no really good food reward device. I don't, people might, your community might know of like treat and train, but that was not connected to the internet or anything like that. And it wasn't super precise and it wasn't really that dog proof. So we had all of these constraints. (laughs) That we were that we were trying to operate under to make the clever pet hub to make a thing that was super dog resistant that could hold a full day's worth of food right, right? so that didn't need to just be treats it could be food as well so you could just it could be like a slow feeder you know right that could uh, that was useful out of the box so you didn't need to have a microsoft connect in your home and yeah we wanted it to work for everyone and to be really reliable and robust so the you know the hard part was there was not even the ability to give the food rewards out in any kind of easy way right um and so we ended up having to make that hardware that and that was a whole odyssey so yeah
0: you didn't you're not the kind of person who shies away of challenges you said you didn't have one to you had three challenges and there you are with cognitive psychology background there's some thing that doesn't kind of connect there's an engineering mindset sure. and, a, and a coding mindset do you do you have that or did you just acquire that? yeah
1: so co- cognitive science and artificial intelligence is is very multidisciplinary transdisciplinary hmm. in its approach so it is a combination of, of certainly there is definitely psychology and philosophy and neuroscience and math and statistics and computer science so i knew how to and you had a code I wasn't I wouldn't call myself a software engineer but I definitely knew how to code going into grad school okay and I knew the basics of probability and yeah it was a, it was a great background for all of this
0: so when you had those three challenges and you were starting off what year was this this
1: would have been like the earliest days were 2013
0: okay so way back then in 2013 what kind of reception did you have from the world as you, as
1: you tried to tackle these rather three big Challenges. Well, we distilled it down to that one, which was largely the hardware challenge. We just we just punted <laughs> on the on the computer vision stuff. We're like, because we knew the hardware was a prerequisite. People loved it. People loved the idea of automated at home training mm-hmm. uh, or an interaction. They I mean they got it a lot. You know, a lot of people got it right away. We had a few people saying, "Oh, this is a first world problem," but that wasn't the, really the perspective. We weren't there trying to like make a thing that was that like scratched a very small itch. Mm-hmm. I was super excited about what the result would be of having millions of households that were all discovering these new things about the dogs that they love and the cats they love, mostly the dogs, right?
0: 85%. Yeah, exactly.
1: <laughs> so, what happens when you have a million households or 2 million households and they, you know, they get to watch videos of their dogs learning to do things they never thought they could do, maybe they've got like kids in school who are tweaking the software and seeing what the results are from like a a learning and behavior perspective. And you can look at the data over the course of six months or a year or two years, and you can share the videos online. That was the thing that was really exciting.
0: So the thing that undergirds all of this is the the belief that dogs, animals, have and lead complex inner lives. Yeah, definitely. Explain that. Let's tease that apart.
1: Yeah. So the more, certainly the more I studied cognitive science, the more it became clear that the kinds of ways people describe how thinking works, they're not that human specific. It's not like if you were to look at a piece of brain and you didn't know which mammal it was from, it would be very hard for you to tell. Like they all look pretty similar. And if you don't actually even know what a human brain exactly looks like, you could look at a dog brain, and you might think it was that of a human. I mean, it's, I mean, they're smaller and they're mm-hmm. differently structured and whatnot. But they're not. It's not dramatically different. They have a lot of the same components. And so, I, I mean, and this was the thing that Charles Darwin also kind of noticed in his. Uh, he wrote about it in the Origin of Species. He was, th- or I think it might have been his follow-on book, like The Descent of Man. Anyway, the the point is, he recognized that, like, if evolution's real, right? then that means we might have a lot more in common with other species than, than we have different Mm -hmm. prior to, to Darwin kind of humanity was like, you know, right under there's God and then there's the angels and then there's like humans. And then, you know, we have dominion over that was, you know, (laughs) once, once you start, once you kind of bring evolution into the mix, it stops being this massive categorical qualitative difference. And now it's like, there's a lot that we've got in common. So that was emotions, feelings, visual perception, all of these things that that are actually really core to cognition are core to our ability to behave and interact intelligently in the world. all these things are dogs can do quite well as well.
0: So that includes emotions? Mm-hmm. and probably it includes
1: ish- imagery right So we humans can most humans can engage in visual imagery we can if I say you know imagine someone wearing a sombrero. Like you can imagine someone wearing a sombrero,
0: right? Like so, so imagery, imagination
1: exactly. being able to. What about abstract thoughts? I don't actually know what an abstract thought is, right? The cool thing about imagery is it's kind of just like you run the, you run the thing, but that you've turned off the sensors, right? Like that's the thing, the same thing is doing, it was doing the same thing it was doing before. It's just the sensors are turned off. Your eyes are closed, for instance, right? But yeah. abstract thought is a little bit more complex, it's likely that the way that humans do abstract thought is through imagined conversations, right, with, like, your parents or something. So we don't know how it would be the case for, like, a non-linguistic animal like a dog to engage in abstract thought, but it does really seem like they can plan things, and so something must be going on.
0: We'd only talk about our own dogs, but I've seen firsthand how dogs, some very clever dogs, plan to, oh, we're going to, I remember that thing that was left outside, Right. We are definitely going to go visit that. And days after, I'd forgotten about it, but they didn't. Um, Totally. So in terms of abstract thoughts, years ago, years and years ago, I uh, uh, did some stuff with with famous, quote unquote, pet psychics. And I was told that, you know, you can communicate with pets and basically they form word pictures Mm -hmm. and they're able to pick up on that. What do you think about that?
1: So we talked about visual imagery. There's also acoustic or sound imagery Mm -hmm. that humans can also have. So, you know, especially if you're like a musician, you can often hear music in your head. You can compose music in your head, right? Right. I would expect that there's no reason for us to believe that dogs don't also have the ability to have kind of some kind of sound imagery. Mm -hmm. We might also, you know, if they've got sound imagery and they've got visual imagery, we might expect that they can also imagine scenes and situations. They might be able to predict what would happen if a particular set of things occurred and then kind of make planning decisions based on that. Now, it's really hard to discover and kind of say anything scientific about what the kind of detailed idiosyncratic things that are going on inside a human's head, let alone the head of a dog. But we don't really have that much reason to believe that at least at a simple level, dogs aren't able to do this kind of thing.
0: And when you say a simple level, does that equate to a certain ch- age of a child and a human child? Yeah,
1: right. So that's kind of a lot of the things that make humans sophisticated is the the really cool, at least this is kind of my opinion, and it's, I think, shared by a number of people in cognitive science and the related disciplines, is a lot of the things that allow us to be sophisticated, intelligent like powerful, as it were, operators in the world is all the stuff that we've learned in school. All these like really cool right. and advanced concepts, like the idea, it wasn't that long ago or no one would ever say 10%. I, I said 85% uh, earlier, right? right? 300 years ago, if, if you had said 85%, people have been like, what do you mean? But it's like, it's this like technical term that has managed to find mm-hmm. its way into just everyday use. Mm-hmm. And so it's got this, I think of it as like a tool, right? It's this like cool thing that humans use in order to accomplish more things and get more things done and have more productive interactions with each other. Imagine it's not just percent, but let's say every word that we use, every attitude that we share with each other and that has been culturally evolved over thousands of years. Like all of those things are part of what's responsible for us being as smart in the world as we are. And it's a thing that dogs don't really have access to.
0: Until now, until exactly. until
1: Fluent Pet and, exactly. and all the
0: other companies that are out there enabling us to have our pets have a human voice. So for someone who's never seen it, right.
1: describe a Fluent Pet setup. So Fluent Pet is a system of hex tiles and sound buttons. Hex, as in hex hag hexagonal. Yeah, exactly. Like, there are these kind of okay. pads that are hexagonal. They are puzzle pieces that connect together, and in them you can put sound buttons the sound buttons are are buttons that when you press them out comes a word that you've recorded into them so you can record a a common word that people start with is like the word outside you might put a sound button by your front door and it and you've recorded yourself saying outside the sound button, then the dog goes
0: So you record you record a, word. One, a how single much, how, word. How many seconds how many seconds do you have when you're <laughs> ours those?
1: actually I think will allow you to record up to thirty seconds. I think and I think that's common. That's not a, a feature <laughs> we tried to it's just like that's the default that these things yeah. were built with. Right. And uh yeah, and so but usually like, you know, most of these words are one or two seconds long. So
0: okay and if you've never seen one of these it's similar to years ago staples or one of the office i think staples had that that was easy button that ubiquitous. everyone saw it and that's basically i'm sure they're slightly perfected but basically that's what we're talking about in terms of technology
1: that's yeah it's a very simple thing so uh i want to give credit where credit is due the person who really popularized this her name was uh, christina hunger she herself was a speech language pathologist Mm -hmm. she uh tried to teach her dog stella Basically, how to communicate with lessons she herself had experience with helping younger children, maybe children who had linguistic development difficulties, communicate using for her what were called AAC what what would be called AAC augmentative and assistive communication devices mm-hmm. and she found that the techniques that she had learned and and developed expertise in that worked for these like young children ended up working mm-hmm. for her dog Stella and she started an Instagram account and it got extremely popular in the fall of 2019 and a bunch of other people were inspired by her and then they started a lot of early childhood educators a lot of speech-language pathologists pathologists a lot of occupational therapists they're like I know how to do what she's doing and they tried to do it and they also were seeing success so it was this so they tremendous their day job
0: yeah. home the stuff that they were doing exactly. with Kids who, I mean, they took their vocation into their home and applied it to their pets. And exactly, eighty-five percent dogs,
1: <laughs> and lo and behold, found out that it works. Absolutely. And now, as to like, a, you know, as to the details of what exactly is going on, that is TBD, right? But right. they they found that they were achieving success with what we call their learners, mm-hmm. their dogs, and in the small minority of cases, their cats. So, what the kind of the genesis of Fluent Pet was? All these people, they were. Improv- this is all DIY. They were improvising these devices. They were buying things of plywood from Home Depot and like Velcro off Amazon, and they were just, <laughs> you know, just putting them all together. And they were organizing them often in these like just plain square grids with that were where each of the buttons was kind of indistinguishable mm-hmm. one from the other, apart from like a little label. And there's no reason for us to believe that the dogs read the label, right? They weren't reading. We're pretty not sure yet. they wasn't not at least not literate. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, And so I knew a little bit about cognitive science and about product design. And so I I said, I actually, she lives in San Diego. I said, hey, like, why don't you organize them in a little bit of a systematic way? You can use what's called Fitzgerald's key, named after this woman around 100 years ago. She was trying to help people who are deaf or hard of hearing Mm -hmm. communicate. In this case, they weren't using buttons, but they were pointing at things. And she would organize concepts into a grid. Uh, where each part of speech kind of had its own square. So you'd have subject words like a person like James mm-hmm. or Leo. Mm-hmm. Uh, you'd have object words like a branch or a stick or something. You might have water, gre- water yeah. gre- greeting words like hello, verbs, jump. And everyone knows how language works, right? So mm-hmm. she would organize. So this was yeah. 100 years this was 100 ago. This is 100 years ago.
0: And so I said to Ms. Fitzgerald came up with this system. Yeah.
1: And it worked, right? People ended up, at least people ended up adopting it. Mm-hmm. So because this was so new, we might, I was like, well, we should just go with, you know, we don't, there's no real science <laughs> in, in that much in the way of science to go on. We should just go with right. what practitioners are actually using out there. Right. And, right. Uh, and so that was like, OK, well, let's organize the sound buttons into tiles that could correspond to the elements of if it's Gerald key. And maybe that would, it probably wouldn't hurt. <laughs> and so it could only help. And that was the basis for starting a, we created like a test pilots group. And uh, we were we started working with these people who had achieved all this success to try and give them better tools.
0: OK. And so you start to give dogs or cats or whatever uh, some of these vocabulary words, which they can just press their paw down. Mm-hmm. And and it makes a, a sound instantaneously, which is the recorded voice of the dog parent saying a word. And what did you
1: start to see? So what our test users reported was that their dogs were a bit more enthusiastic to use it, that they were using it more often, that they were able to apparently learn words more quickly. Now, these are all anecdotes. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we don't have any, we haven't done this, this study where we give, Hundred dogs, one thing, and hundred dogs, another. But that was what people were saying, and they liked it. And plus, I mean, it was also just more convenient. Mm-hmm. There were a lot of practical difficulties that people were encountering with the large buttons and the plywood. It was taking over their living room. The buttons we were making were smaller. They were designed to be very compact, uh, so that you could put a lot more buttons into a given into a given space. And so, basically, in the spring of 2020, a, a memorable period of time, I think, for probably most people what happened there yeah <laughs> we we uh we started doing things that had nothing to do with any of that right. and we were meeting with people every two weeks we gave them prototypes that were much bigger at the time and eventually one of the people we gave them to was this one woman Alexis Divine she uh, has the dog uh, the sheepadoodle bunny whom probably many of your listeners might be familiar with Probably
0: people have seen a bunny video or two on YouTube or Insta.
1: <laughs> yeah, and so she started using it. She got. A, she actually didn't have an Instagram, uh, or she might have had an Instagram account. No, I don't think she even had an Instagram account. She certainly didn't have a TikTok account at the time. She started the TikTok account and got up to seven million followers on TikTok because her she had a very charismatic dog who was really doing great with buttons. And then we kind of partnered with her and uh, the other test pilots as we called them and then launched on uh, the end of June. And it's kind of been this crazy roller coaster ever since.
0: What's the nature of the partnership?
1: Oh, uh, all of, we have what we call a guide program. And so these are people, they have links on their bios that are affiliate links. And if people see something and learn something and want to get Hextile, then they can click on the link. We, we want to give as much as we can to the people who are actually doing the things with their dogs. Rather than to Facebook and Amazon and Google, who have plenty of money. They don't need any more money.
0: Yeah. I think Mark Zuckerberg would disagree, but in general, I, th- I think that's, that's true. So did you guys basically, I mean, partly because people are home because of the pandemic, consuming this type of stuff mm-hmm. and having more time to spend with their pets. Yeah. Did you start to see explosive growth? Uh
1: we absolutely did. Yeah. I mean, we did over a million in revenue in our first six months, mm-hmm. which was great. We in the following year, we've done five and a half million, so like even mm-hmm. more. Uh we did a like an equity crowdfunding campaign that was fairly successful. It ended last month.
0: Meaning like a, a crowd?
1: It's like Kickstarter, except instead of getting like a thing that you order, you actually get a share of it, some shares in the company. Yeah. Wow,
0: what's the platform that you did? We did that on a on?
1: platform called Republic.
0: Republic, okay. Yeah. So that's a, a different type of crowdsourcing, yeah. but you're actually, in theory, it could remunerate a lot better because you're actually getting equity. Yeah, exactly. In
1: stock. Yep. Yeah. That's okay. That's the idea. So, um, yeah, it's been yeah a ton of growth. We've been able to operate very efficiently because of the fact that the things that people are making are just so entertaining that like they end up getting a lot of traction.
0: And we try and help them, which is another way of saying that social media is basically giving you enormous amounts of free exposure.
1: We are also giving social media a lot of great content, right. so you know it's a right. you know it's, it's th- a win 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 win. Yeah, yeah. So like it's like this podcast.
0: Um, do you think that the very nature of the t- crazy times that we live in, with so many people being home and being able to spend a little bit extra indulgent time with their pets? Has made a difference i think
1: it probably almost certainly has i think we would have seen growth i don't think we would have seen the level the rate of growth that we ended up seeing mm-hmm. um it's when you're kind of teaching a dog to use buttons it really helps to be there to capture every time they might happen to experiment or explore and then and then reward it and reinforce it or help them understand and learn the meaning of the button that they just pressed. So if they want to go outside and they, and you're there and it's the beginning of their learning, if they press the outside button, you go outside. If they press the play button, you start playing with them. Now, eventually, hopefully you'll have, you'll press the all done button and then that'll be the end of play. But then they're learning what all done means too.
0: Does it work better with younger dogs or can you teach, teach an old dog new tricks?
1: We've seen a lot of old dogs and cats see success with the buttons. Okay. We don't know. Yet, if it has to do with which kind of dog, mm-hmm. or whether it's the age of the dog, or whether it's the maybe some je ne sais quoi of the, uh, the, the human, right, that they're doing something right. just right that clicks with, the, with their learner, as we say. But you know, we're trying to figure that out.
0: I want to take a break right here. But when we come back, Leo, let's talk a little bit more about the science and where you see this going. We'll be right back. And now, a
1: message from your dog.
0: Oh, every day with you is like a day at the beach And I want as many beach days as possible oh, I want to run I want to sniff oh, I want to find a good stick to carry oh, I want to roll in the grass oh, And warm my belly in the sun Oh, I want to walk with you Run with you Sleep with you Eat with you And when I eat with you I want ever pup. The green, glassy beef liver smell wakes my senses. Oh, you may not realize this, but it tastes like homemade gravy. It infuses any food you give me with healthy life vibrancy. Oh, I can feel it. Ever pop traveling to every cell in my body, nourishing each one. I'm so grateful to be your dog. And for the Everpup you give me.
1: So now that you know what your dog wants, get Everpup, the ultimate dog supplement.
0: We are back with Leo Trottier from Fluent Pat. Leo, before the break, we were talking a little bit. We're trying to move into the science space because I noticed that you've been very careful in your language about like couching things as well. It could be we don't know. It's anecdotal. How scientifically based is this? And I know you are trying to bring more science into it. So
1: certainly, as I'm trying to bring, and, and we're trying to bring as much of the established science that we can to what we're doing. I mean, it's certainly, it doesn't take that much sophistication to imagine that like a, a grid of identical buttons that are visually indistinguishable from each other might be more challenging to learn than one in which were, there was a lot more visual variety. You know, that's kind of one thing that we can say with some amount of certainty. But the real way that we're incorporating science is through kind of an acknowledgement of the th- of the things that we're very ignorant of. So we don't really know exactly what's going on with dogs that are able to do this. What we do know is that we have people who are who know their dogs really well inside it out. They know their context. They know their dog's personality. They know what happened yesterday and what's likely to happen tomorrow. and And they can see for themselves whether the dog's use of the buttons is, in our words, like contextually appropriate. And so what we're trying to do is we've got this kind of large crowdsourcing uh, science project where uh, we have thousands of people who have signed up to provide regular updates about what their dog learned that week, what their dog's preferences have been that week, which buttons they press the most, which buttons have been introduced, all of that in order to begin to kind of get a sense for the kind of what it is that dogs are actually doing.
0: So tell me a little bit about this project. Is it under the auspices of some university or, or education? So yeah, we
1: have a collaboration with a comparative cognition lab. And so they are the ones that we anonymize the data and whatnot that we'd be sharing the data with. Mm-hmm. We also have it on staff. We have a number of just academic researchers. They are not we help fund their fellowships or their their stipends, I should say. Mm-hmm. But the work that they're doing is entirely we're not telling them what it is that we expect to find, you know, we're not, it's a, we really are just interested in, in getting a better sense for how this is all working. So it's uh, so we are funding the research that we're, that into how dogs are using these buttons.
0: Okay so um, tell me a little bit about the personalities and the and the academic cred mm-hmm. of the folks who are who are working on that part of yeah, it. Yeah
1: so at the Comparative Cognition Lab we have a one professor that we're working with closely. We just have an agreement where I'm not supposed to say his name and <laughs> the name of the okay. lab out loud otherwise I would say it. Oh, you, okay. you can find out online if you look. But there's
0: Okay. And actually the website for that is theycantalk.org. Uh, yeah
1: so so the website is theycantalk.org so this is a a place where we've consolidated all of the tips and tricks that we have kind of all the people that people have given us Mm -hmm. over the last 18 months. And yeah, we tried to bring it into one place so that it's a resource for people. Mm -hmm. Uh, We have a forum too called How Dot how.theycantalk.org, where again, you don't need to have fluent pet stuff in order to jump on and start asking questions. And it's just meant to be a place for anyone who's interested in improving their ability to use buttons.
0: So obviously, I mean, you you have a company, you're you're growing it, you want to have people ideally use it, but in order for the whole industry to grow, you are supporting it academically so that there's more science behind it. Let's talk a little bit about some of the detractors, some of the people who have poo-pooed this. Sure. What, What are some of the things that they say?
1: Well, so we are all, you know, we all bring... Uh, certainly, among the researchers and my I, my background, as you know, cognitive science. So we all bring some amount of skepticism mm-hmm. about what's going on. If a dog says "love you," what does that actually mean, right? that's probably <laughs> they're not thinking of like some poetry from the nineteenth century, you know, that is like that's inspiring them to recite whatever. So what the words actually mean, what the dogs actually mean when they're pressing the buttons, like. That's a very hard thing to figure out. I mean, it's also kind of hard thing to figure out when people say words, like what those words actually mean. So,
0: right. And what, and what is, is when I see red and say red, are you and I seeing the same thing? Do we, yes. do we mean the same the thing? The famous
1: right? inverted spectrum problem. Uh, <laughs> yes, that's it. <laughs> yeah. So, so we're skeptical ourselves, but we have just seen, I mean, certainly I have seen enough examples and, and I kind of trust the good judgment of the people that we're working with like the the guides the people that have done a lot of these things with their dogs these people are not they're not the kind of people who are prone to just believing anything that they've been told the people that are work that we're working with they are skeptical themselves they express their own like alternative hypotheses for what it is that their their learners are doing and so but nonetheless they're still fascinated, and there are so many of these, these like really powerful anecdotes. That, as someone who has a background in cognitive science, I would be I like it would be misconduct for me to not try and learn as much as we can about what all these dogs are doing with buttons, given that we have all this data.
0: What are some of the your worst critic? What are some of the detractors tra- yeah. saying? So
1: I think a lot of the the criticisms would be something like. Oh, the, you know, the dogs, they're just randomly pressing buttons. They're just pressing a button because it gets the attention of their person. They're just pressing a button because it gets them a treat. Now, most of the people who have taught their dogs to use buttons didn't use reinforcement clicker training at all, right? They, mm-hmm. So th- that's obviously a, a red herring. But the, you know, the, the randomly pressing buttons. The dogs are being rewarded by the enthusiasm of their human's response. And that's why all these dogs are, uh, you're getting these crazy uh, videos. And oh, of course, all these videos are just cherry-picked. So the dogs do a thousand things during the day, and you're picking the, the one that you can ascribe some meaning to. It's like you're seeing clouds in the sky, right? Mm-hmm. So that over-interpretation would be like probably the the number one criticism.
0: Okay. And the and the way that you all address the over-interpretation
1: is how? Well, the reality is dogs most... Of the dogs, certainly a lot of the dogs that are doing the most interesting things with these buttons, we're looking at ten to twenty interactions per day, mm-hmm. and a number of them are just. We've seen a dog say like who who really likes ice cubes, who knew the word for bone and who knew the word for water, like say water bone, and then expect an ice cube. <laughs> I mean, I don't know. Like maybe it was just a random combination. That the dog right. pressed, and then the person was like, "It was the person's interpretation of water bone that then like made it ice cube." But well, is that is something like that repeated, or yeah. is it a one-time? Yeah, I know it ends thing. up getting okay, repeated. so water
0: bone, yeah. water bone, yeah. water, bone yeah. water bone enough times when there is all bunch of buttons, Occam's razor would start to suggest maybe there is a pattern yeah. to the
1: selection of. We've seen dogs repeat themselves, so, so a dog will do like some pair of presses, like. Um, mm-hmm. Play outside. Like, mm-hmm. And then the person who's in the other room says, Oh, what did you say? And then they walk towards the button with the, the board with the dog. And the dog repeats himself. Play outside. I mean, that's <laughs> I mean, they could have pre- if it was just attention from random button pressing, right. why would they have pressed the exact same pair of buttons in the same order again? Uh, there, and there is another uh, probably one of the coolest examples was Alexis. So Alexis, bunny will sometimes do things consistently that are very puzzling and and so we're engaged in almost like a it's almost like a cryptographic kind of <laughs> we're trying to decrypt what it is that bunny's trying to communicate to alexis at least that's what it feels like i mean we don't who knows again and so one of the this is again one of the coolest stories bunny was pressing and this would be at the beginning of an interaction sound walk or sound tug like and was doing this a bunch of different times and whenever alexis would give bunny would offer to take bunny on a walk bunny was like no no i don't Want to walk and that's not what i'm interested in or she'd offer the tug to bunny and bunny would be like i don't want to tug i bunny would act frustrated and like huff and then like go away right and then eventually i mean alexa was talking to me and the professor that i'm that we're working with and she talked about this kind of weird thing that bunny was doing and and we're like well maybe bunny is asking to use the board it's like bunny's asking to talk so Alexis introduced a talk button. Bunny stops saying sound walk, sound tug, after Bunny understands what the talk button means, which didn't take very long, and starts beginning conversations with talk, like come talk. And then Bunny would subsequently say more. So again, I don't, we don't know yet how we're going to develop the kind of scientific precision and confidence around the phenomenon here that we're observing, but we're trying our darndest. Where do you see this going, Leo? So, we've just released a new product called Fluent Pet Connect, which is a response to all the things that our community was telling us that they wanted out of their soundboards. We have people like a year ago or more that they had like instrumented their sound, their soundboards, so that every button that their dog pressed triggered an event and then it went into a like a, it was like a dog computer and so they could log and see exactly all the button presses that their dog made and so like i think probably a lot of our more advanced users at least would love to be able to hear every button that their you know see every button track every button that their dog had made and uh, you know maybe get a text message you know oh <laughs> from their dog uh and certainly they wanted better audio quality so we wanted to we released a thing that kind of met all of those All those requests. And the cool thing about it is if we've got tens, thousands, hundreds of thousands of these connected tiles out there, the uh, amount that we'll all be able to figure out about what it is dogs are trying to communicate will just be exponentially greater.
0: So when you say connected, are they like they're connected to the internet? Connected to the internet, yeah. And then in terms of audio quality can you run it through a sonos or a, or a, an echo or something like you that you
1: could with our design our, one of our design philosophies is to like change as little as possible about this like right. golden goose that seems to be yeah. you know <laughs> teaching that the dog seems to be seems to be working we don't want to kill it right? right um so we think that it might be important that the sound come from a place that's close to the thing that gets actuated like close to the button okay and so having a sound come from certainly it'd be weird if it came from the top floor right the dog presses a right. thing and then like on the top floor <laughs> some like word happens that, that the dog would probably be confused so there is keeping the sound close to the buttons is a, is a goal of ours
0: all right so just better speaker. yeah so
1: just a better speaker in the thing and rather than having a microphone and a speaker in in every button we have one kind of bass hex tile mm. which has like a good Speaker in it that's very loud and very clear, mm-hmm. and you can connect a bunch of other hex tiles to it that then activate that base hex tile.
0: I'm just smitten with the idea of being getting a text, an SMS from my dog, right? Yes, totally. Is that really on the horizon? Oh yeah,
1: yeah. That's 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 like one of the first and most easy things for us to do here.
0: So when is that to deploy?
1: We so we launched it uh, yeah a couple of weeks ago on the third. We will be shipping probably in spring, summer 2022. We've got a bunch more kinks to work out and finalizing of the hardware and software to do. But yeah, we're we're pretty excited.
0: I have often joked that my dog is sending, when my wife and I are, my dog is sending me messages. She wants me to come home. But now I would be able to really get a, a message from my dog. <laughs>
1: I'm I'm actually pretty also awesome. pretty excited about what, I mean, there's so much that, again, we're we're trying to kind of make scientifically precise a lot of the things that mm-hmm. we're seeing, but it's a big challenge to do so. Nonetheless, we think there's like a lot of potential when, you know, maybe you get a text message from your dog and maybe you've got the ability to like look in your nest cam to see what they're doing. That would be, I think, pretty cool.
0: I, I think that would be very cool. and opens up all sorts of privacy issues, but I think that would be well, really- We don't make
1: nest cams, but yeah.
0: That's right. That's right. If you, what you do with your, with your Nest cam or your smart ring camera or whatever is, is yours is your thing You between you and your dog. Yeah. <laughs> um, okay. So that's in the very near future. What yeah. do you think if you look five or 10 years out, Liam, mm-hmm. I mean, will you have, will you have sold this company retired and be living on a beach somewhere?
1: Uh, I think I'd probably go stir crazy on a beach, but okay. the, uh
0: that doesn't mean no. That doesn't mean no.
1: Okay. <laughs> so I actually, one of the things I did in grad school distracted me from actual research and probably made it harder for me to graduate. I ended up not graduating. I was starting the company instead of graduating. Mm-hmm. Um, so the uh, one of the things I did was run this website called Scholarpedia, which is about, It was a, it's not taken off, but I, I was helping as like the managing editor of it. And it I was very excited about kind of, bringing more of the kind of modern approaches to information sharing and knowledge development and to, to bear so that people could have kind of knowledge that they could trust online. So Scholarpedia was like a Wikipedia, but was, that was written by academics and had academic incentives involved in its organization. Why am I bringing this up? Because I, I, I'm really, we're as much as we're working on the hardware and trying to make it sophisticated, We really want to make it a lot easier for people to discover and share the really, and and analyze the really interesting things that their dogs are doing with these, with these devices, with, with sound buttons. And so in five or six years time, I would love to see there being, there be like a lot more systematic analysis and understanding and description of what it is that dogs are actually doing with these sound buttons. I'd love to see a kind of a, a robust crowdsourced effort to figure out what it is that our dogs can do and what's going on inside their minds.
0: What is your hunch, your inkling, about how this language, being able to give dogs the ability to talk to us, mean for the relationship
1: between dog and person? So, I mean, any relationship counselor will tell you that communication is key, right? a lot of bad behavior happens when, when communication is not working, right? When people are not getting across what they want, when people can't feel like they're understood. So, you know, we think that like we could see this really transforming the lives of a lot of dogs who are otherwise very frustrated because this God king of mine, <laughs> like that that, is, that, that controls everything about my life. Isn't, doesn't understand what I need or want, so so that could be that could be transformative for sure.
0: I mean, that could have an impact on shelter euthanasias. And- shelter
1: euthanasia, it could. I mean, it, stress uh, among dogs, you know, could could kind of go down a lot. We've got you know, dogs will run away sometimes when they're you know super anxious or they'll try and escape. It could impact. We've been told that there's like a loneliness epidemic. If you <laughs> could have this re- deeper, richer relationship with this. With the dog in your home like maybe that could help alleviate that so i you know the possibilities are really endless
0: do you see this do you have uh, senior citizens or very senior citizens using this technology currently
1: we have people from all age ranges using it i mean there are a lot of people who retire and then i think to devote their lives to their dogs which is right. a super, extremely noble and i think very rewarding yeah. and and i and we do have a, a number of those people who i think are are like very much into fluent pet and, and using sound buttons.
0: And what about multi-dog families? Mm-hmm. How does that work
1: out? It tends to be the case that there is a uh, a dog who is like more interested in the sound buttons than the other. Mm-hmm. But we've seen evidence, again this is all very preliminary, but we've seen people reporting that after their, you know, the primary dog was using the sound buttons a lot, three or six months later, the dog that they had no hope for started experimenting and trying things out.
0: Have you ever seen dogs communicating with each other using the sound buttons?
1: That is something that we're very interested in, <laughs> as you might imagine, because that, be, that, that would be fascinating. Um, we have not seen, uh, people have said that they're communicating, but it's, it's quite rare. And you know, we okay. would watch a video of it to see what was actually going on. Yeah. What we have seen, which is kind of interesting, Is a lot of reports of dogs speaking for the the primary dog speaking for the secondary dog. So if the secondary, so this translating from my dumb sister (laughs) exactly. So uh, there are reports where the dog will say, you know, potty outside, and the dog will kind of look at at the other dog, and then they'll both go outside. The one who said potty outside won't do anything, and the other one will.
0: Now I imagine on the on the hex that has the subjects or name thing, you could put. Not just the people in the you, family, but the other uh, dogs. Yes. Do you see yeah, we, do you see that I happening? Think we have
1: seen dogs referring to other dogs into other cats in the home. One of the there's a heartbreaking video you should see, you can see on the subreddit, the cat's subreddit by one of our <laughs> one of our users, where there's this one dog one cat, sorry, who's like I'm sorry, I know it's a sacrilege, but you know, the cat That's is okay. mourning, apparently, the loss of one of her one of her cat friends and was constantly pressing the name of the cat friend and saying where and like, and and then crying. It's, it's, it'll, yeah, be ready right before you watch this video. We,
0: we will put a link to that in the show notes for sure. Wow. What? A, so to just wrap up, leave us with your favorite story of all the stories, all the videos you've gotten over the years. Which is the one that had the biggest impact on you?
1: Oh, gosh. Um... Easy one. Easy <laughs> yeah, one. I know. <laughs> Uh, I mean, certainly one of the most striking ones, and I don't know if it, uh, We again, we don't really know what's going on, but this was another example of Bunny was repeatedly saying some combination, saying, pressing some combination of buttons that were very difficult to discern. It was like, in this case, Bunny was saying night talk, sleep, or night sleep talk, or night talk, or, you know, and, and we're like, what are you, what are you talking about? Like, what? What is going on, Bunny? This is of course after the introduction of the talk button. Right. And and I think I was speaking with her and we were like, is this is this is Bunny talking about dreams and dreaming? And we're like, no, that's that cannot be. But we're like, yeah, let's introduce a dream button. One of our researchers actually proposed when bunny's dreaming, like, wake her up. You know, you can see when a dog's dreaming, they're like, Growling and doing running running in their their dreams, exactly. Yeah. (laughs) So wake up, Bunny, and ask Bunny what what's going on. And so Alexis did that, and then like waited thirty seconds, and eventually Bunny said, "Stranger animal." (laughs) Mm. I
0: wow. I mean, so we can do start to do dream
1: analysis
0: (laughs) with these buttons.
1: Yeah, the structure and interpretation of dog dreams. Yeah.
0: Well, maybe we'll save that for a future year. Leo Trottier, thank you so much for being with us today. This is fascinating. We will continue to follow this whole journey that you're on and as the world gets to be able to talk to, literally talk to and hear from their dogs. It's awesome. Thank you for being with us. It's
1: great to be with you. Thank you.
0: Leo and his team at Fluent Pet have been very busy since our chat. The popularity of those buttons has been growing rapidly here in the United States and around the world. In fact, there are close to 100,000 households globally that are using these buttons to communicate with their pets. Also, the company was recently featured in the Netflix series The Hidden Life of Pets, where they chronicle the story of Alexis Devine and her dog Bunny. The company has also released a new initiative, which is a program designed exclusively for helping kids teach their dogs and cats to talk, yes, talk, using these buttons. They are currently working on their newest line, which is Fluent Pet Connect, and that will launch later in 2022. If you'd like more information about these buttons, you can visit them on their website. We have a link in the show notes for today's episode. Well, that is all we have time for on today's show. I want to thank you for joining us. If you haven't done so already, please follow us in your favorite podcast app or on YouTube. All the links are on our website at longleashshow.com. That is also where you can listen to all the back episodes of The Long Leash. Please tell a friend about the show at the dog park or at the veterinarian or just anyone you know who is a dog lover. Let them know about the Long Leash and about Dog Podcast Network. I'm James Jacobson. On behalf of all of us here at Dog Podcast Network, I'd like to wish you and your dog a very warm aloha.